PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, where board studying continues to be more enjoyable. Thanks to us, right, Blake? Absolutely. And thanks to a special guest that we have today. We are joined today by Dr. Mary Claire O'Brien. She is also referred to as GOAT, hashtag GOAT. Uh, she's a diplomat of ABEM and a member of the Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honor Society. She's got 35 years of experience caring for critically ill and injured patients. She's been at Wake Forest University School of Medicine for nearly 20 years. She's a motivational speaker. She motivated me a lot during residency, I can tell you that, and was recognized as Mentor of the Year by the Office of Women in Medicine and Science, and is currently authoring a work on team building and resiliency in the medical profession. She's a member of the editorial staff at EM Board Bombs, and it's an honor to have her again on our podcast. gentlemen welcome back thank you really an honor to have you and uh, thank you again uh, really just being a mentor to so many people including old fought and i yeah, for sure you're very welcome for sure and um there's one title i forgot to mention here the most important title Careful there, Hussein. where she is a <laughs> new grandmother yes the most important title of all yes i all will right? be soon she will be soon all right that is the most important title all right so before we get started with hashtag goat dr mary claire o'brien Mary Claire, can you mention what we're doing with Rapid Bombs? We don't have to mention it. Look, I'm going to mention it for you. This is like <laughs> one of those where I ask a question, I answer it myself. So with Classic attending move. A classic attending <laughs> move. I learned from the best. So with rap, EM Rapid Bombs, it's a three to five minute podcast per episode. We drop almost a new podcast daily. Um, it's a distilled version of what we do with EM Board Bombs. Um, we do spaced repetition. We send out emails. There's an interactive aspect to it. We've gotten a lot of great feedback for EM Rapid Bombs. Uh, we actually changed the name recently just to make it more linear with this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate all the support that we've gotten, all the subscribers that we've gotten to that podcast. Again, there's coaching aspects to it, spaced repetition, interactive. And our most important subscriber thus far has been. Hashtag goat, Mary Claire O'Brien. Hope you're enjoying it. I do. I listen to it when I'm walking and I listen to it when I'm driving. And even if I'm only going a short distance, I really learn something new every day. So good teaching points. And uh, uh, I don't have to take the boards again because I've already <laughs> done it four times. So uh, yes, it's true. But that's the cool thing is when I saw you subscribe, I knew you didn't you know, have to take the boards again. But um, it was really interesting to see why you subscribe. I talked to you about it and you just appreciated getting kind of distilled knowledge. Um, right, yeah, it makes for know. good teaching points. Yeah. And so um, I'm enjoying it and it's a good refresher. Yeah, no, we appreciate the support. Thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. Let's get into this question. A 35-year-old male presents to your emergency room via EMS after a motorcycle accident resulting in a level one trauma. 
He said he was inspired by the YouTube clips of an unknown motorcycle rider called Ghost Rider who evades <laughs> police capture by riding at ridiculous speed. Fortunately, while he was traveling at high speeds and fiddling with his new GoPro 9 and its 5K settings, Whoa. he didn't notice an Amazon truck pull out in front of him, causing him to be ejected. So you've got this ejected motorcycle accident. He is alert and intoxicated in your ED. His heart rate is 120. Respiratory rate is 30. Manual blood pressure is 100 over 85. Chest x-ray looks okay. And the pelvic x-ray shows widening of the pubic symphysis and left SI joint. So again, widening of the pubic symphysis and the left SI joint. Which of the following is true? Is it A, the best way to assess for pelvic instability on assessment is lateral rocking of the pelvis back and forth. B, pneumatic anti-shock garments have been shown to reduce mortality in patients with pelvic fractures at risk for bleeding. C, pelvic sheet binders are equal to external fixation in terms of pelvic stability. D, applying pelvic binders has been shown to reduce arterial bleeding in the pelvis or e application of pelvic sheet binders should optimally be placed superior to the umbilicus and above the iliac crest dr briggs what's the correct answer correct answer here is going to be choice c Pelvic sheet binders are equal to external fixation in terms of pelvic stability. You know, that was long answer choices. <laughs> that was, but you know, the cool thing about those answer choices is you're going to learn something from each of them. Absolutely. Each one of those is like a board pearl. Exactly. Ex hint, 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 hint. Hint, hint. Foreshadowing. <laughs> we are going to be talking about pelvic fractures today, and the most common mechanism for pelvic fractures is motor vehicle crashes or motorcycle crashes that's like over you know 50 percent of the time followed by pedestrian struck 20 percent of the time and then falls ranging from five to 30 percent of the time so pelvic fractures are only about three percent of overall skeletal injuries or as my british professor said in medical school skeletal injuries huh. <laughs> but overall the mortality is like 10 percent. it's pretty bad so of pelvic fractures open fractures you can imagine are very uncommon uh, they're only about two percent of all pelvic fractures but the mortality rates just skyrocket. They go up to 50%. And uh, as usual, older patients have a bad time. Uh, note that age greater than 60 is associated with significant pelvic fractures and predicts likelihood of bleeding requiring angiography. You know, just to pause here, I think age greater than 60, you know, there's a calculator out there. It's on MD Calc. And Careful, Briggs. <laughs> and you put <laughs> age greater than 60 plus medical vehicle accident equals higher risk of everything. This well, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know I do not uh, ride a motorcycle, nor am I a ghost rider. <laughs> Do you have a GoPro, though? <laughs> Maybe. So with respect to pelvic anatomy, we ought to think about it as four bones, essentially, very simply, the right and left hip bones, the sacrum, and the coccyx. And when assessing pelvic ring injuries, we need to think in terms of pelvic stability, which depends upon the integrity of a combination of bones and ligaments. Stable fractures are those which are able to withstand normal physiologic loading without significant displacement over time, whereas unstable fractures tend to displace. 
In general, fractures and dislocations with displacement of more than one centimeter and injuries that compromise the posterior SI ligaments are often unstable and warrant closer attention. So the key point, the posterior SI ligaments are the key vertical stabilizers of the pelvis. And a little pearl here for you, uh, you should be particularly interested in L5 transverse process fractures, raising your suspicion for pelvic ring instability. So if the vector of the force was in the right direction and of uh, sufficient magnitude to fracture the L5TP, it probably has injured the posterior ligament complex, which is critical for stability of the pelvis. Historically, fractures have been classified according to whether there's stability or not, and you don't need to memorize the details of the different classification systems. Nope. I should understand. Are you glad there? Yeah, super happy. <laughs> <laughs> I took I took one look at that one time as an intern when I was on trauma. I was like, that's not happening. <laughs> like ever, like ever. You're like, you know what? If I get asked on it, no, it's just, I'm we'll miss. take the L. We'll take the L. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you should understand that sorting these fractures out based on force vectors allows the surgeons to apply external fixation in the most appropriate manner to correct the deformity and maximize survival. But it also gives us a way of predicting associated injuries. So uh, the Young and Burgess system classification system is what is most used mm -hmm. now. And you should know that head and chest trauma are associated with lateral compression injuries. So think about a driver or passenger who's T-boned in a car. And visceral injuries and hemorrhage are associated with AP compression. And that would be something like a head-on collision. So it was originally thought that classifying fractures this way could predict the extent of hemorrhage, but subsequent studies have shown that significant hemorrhage can still occur even with so-called lesser fractures. Nice try. <laughs> so let's talk about pelvic radiography, and let's talk about trauma codes, and let's talk about how we get these all the time. So plain films from the initial trauma series have been found to have, guess what? Low sensitivity. Wow, what a surprise. Wah, wah. <laughs> 55%. Ooh, ouch, 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 for predicting stability. Repeat. Hey, louder for those in the back, okay? Louder for those in the back. The first x-ray is not reliable in determining if a pelvic injury is stable. Even though trauma is eagerly walking over to the portable x-ray and saying, oh, pelvic ring intact. Hey, and, and before, we, before we go further, let's drop another board pearl here in terms of sensitivity. What's another thing run during trauma codes that doesn't have great sensitivity, uh, but specificity is high? Something that we might do if the patient's hypotensive, Dr. Briggs, something that you have expounded on multiple times. Oh, the, um, it's called the facet exam. Exactly. So uh, understand that as well. Could you give just like a one-liner on that, Dr. Uh, yeah. So facet exam, we all know that's indicated really for uh, two types of patients. Any penetrating trauma to the, the box, as they call it, the chest, uh, and then any hypotensive blunt trauma patient. And uh, they would benefit from a FAST, which, remember, involves four views, right upper quadrant, left upper quadrant, subxiphoid, and then suprapubic. And then you can do an E-FAST, which adds on both lungs as well. As Iltifat said, very specific test, poorly sensitive, not that good. Boards love that. Very specific, but poor sensitivity. And then the other thing that Dr. Briggs mentioned are the different views. They like to test you on that. The first view that you're going to get if it's going to be a patient, uh, especially in the box type injury, is going to be the cardiac view. Absolutely. I love to ask that question. What's your first view going to be? That's going to be cardiac. So what should we be looking for on those initial pelvic films then if, we're, if they're not that good for predicting stability, uh, Mayor Claire? So we do ABCs, alignment, bones, cartilage, and soft tissues. There's a laundry list of anatomical lines of the pelvis on the anterior-posterior radiograph. 
which we will put in the handout and show notes, but we're not going to list them here because we all hate listing things. And either way, these lines need to be continuous and smooth. The, the one thing I would say is that the AP radiographs are very helpful for assessing pelvic symmetry. So the anterior ring, the iliac wing, the transverse process fractures, you should be looking for symmetry of the wings and you should compare the obturator foramina. Again, looking for symmetry. I like how you quoted the orthopedic uh, ABCs. They're different from the <laughs> EM ABCs. Instead of airway breathing circulation, it's alignment bones cartilage. No, you should use that those ABCs for any x-ray, right? Because yes, if, exactly right. if you go to the bones, yes. you're going to miss the alignment. If you jump to the soft tissues, you miss the bones. Yes. I, I completely agree. ABCs. Alignment, bones, cartilage, and then later on down, admit to medicine. So we will include... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Lord. So we will include a pelvic x-ray photo with the podcast release. But I want uh, us to go over specific fractures. You know, this is a really good time to do that. Uh, Mayor Claire, what do, you, what do you want to say about all those? There's really four major types here. Yes. So specific fractures, we're going to talk about four. Again, think about them by mechanism. The first is lateral compression. So an MVC patient who has been T-boned. And you need to remember, and this would be a good board question, lateral compression fractures are associated with head and chest injuries. That makes sense because mm -hmm. you're getting hit from the side. You can get hit as high as the head or the chest. Number two, AP compression fractures, and that would be like a head-on motor vehicle accident, a motorcycle accident, a crush injury. You know, you're under a car and the car falls down on top of you. So these are the, this is the mechanism that typically produces external rotation of one or both hemipelvises, leading to what we would call an open book type of injury. And you should, again, be looking for symmetry of the iliac wings on your plane films. AP compression fractures are associated with visceral injuries and hemorrhage. Substantial hemorrhage and arterial bleeding are most prevalent with AP compression injuries. The severity of these injuries is determined based on whether there's active extrav on the arterial face images of your CT or whether or not a large volume of pelvic hemorrhage is present. And more than 500 cc's of hemorrhage would correspond with a 50% probability of an arterial injury. An AP compression injury with severed arteries is associated with higher rates of morbidity and mortality. Yeah, and sorry, real quick, before we, we go further, uh, you mentioned two of these types of injuries. Uh, one question that comes up a lot is, you know, when reviewing AP radiographs is, what's a normal pubic symphysis? The answer is four to five millimeters, unless the patient's pregnant. In a pregnant patient, the pubic symphysis may relax up to nine millimeters. So again, something important to know. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that old thought. Mary Claire, I'm sipping on a strawberry bubbly right now. It's very good. It's very relaxing. And uh, I would love to hear more about other pelvic fractures. I'm, I'm truly intrigued. <laughs> I would just love to speak about pelvic fractures. Thank you. The third type we want to talk about is a vertical shear. And that's a type of a fracture caused by cranially directed high energy forces from a violent axial load. So that would occur such as a fall from a height where the patient lands on an extended leg. And these can be extremely unstable fractures. The amount of force applied and the relative strength and bone of the ligamentous structures uh, will dictate what the exact fracture pattern is that develops. And then the last fracture pattern you want to think about is acetabular fractures. A typical case of this would be a driver in a head-on MVC who's got right hip pain, whose right leg had been extended on the gas pedal at the time of impact. And one very important take-home point, if there is a concern for an acetabular fracture, CT is your best diagnostic modality. So look on the CAT scan. 
if you suspect an acetabular fracture, you can look on the coronal view or on the cuts. The coronal view actually might be more helpful, but don't count on your plain radiograph, which may be inconclusive. Yeah, and some of the more obvious things to think about, you know, regarding presentations of these fractures are you would expect some of the symptoms would be abdominal pain, pelvic pain, hip pain, back pain, uh, signs of possible pelvic specific fractures too, you know, tachycardia, hypotension, bruising of the flanks, pelvis, groin area, um, leg length discrepancy. Sure. Just to clarify from earlier, we are not sponsored by Bubbly, but... If they're, we will, but if we they're interested, sponsorship. if they're interested, we would be happy to hear from them. We would just, be. just letting them know. So, Mary Claire, what are some pearls related to assessing pelvic stability? I've seen these go from good to bad to ugly very quickly, especially depending on the time of year and the particular intern that is on that service. I'll tell you, it has it has more to do with how high the, in my opinion, humbly, the testosterone levels are in the room than anything else. But we, we won't go there. So what I want to say about assessing pelvic stability during the trauma code is please do not rock the pelvis. Just don't do it. That just sounds bad. That just sounds bad. Yeah. Don't do it. And that was one of the answer choices. Yeah. You don't it. rock yeah, the pelvis. Exactly. You get one gentle squeeze using both hands on the patient's hips going lateral to medial. So you're not rocking the daggone pelvis back and forth because we want to guard any clot that's on that posterior pelvis. Get your hands off. One gentle squeeze and you should be able to tell if the pelvis is un- is grossly unstable, which is all right. you're trying to do. Right. I have a funny story on that. We had uh, one of my co-residents, I remember, um, was on the trauma service and did that part of the exam and immediately said, uh, pelvis is unstable. And, and she was a pretty stoic person. Everyone just kind of paused and was like, wait, really? Are you sure? And then she was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it was like one of those where she was like, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> right. Don't rock the pelvis. Hey, so go into details about the pelvic stabilization now. Every bit of it. Sure. So your true pelvic volume is about a liter and a half, but a pelvic fracture can disrupt the retroperitoneum, which basically leads to a non-compressible space for hemorrhage to accumulate. So an average adult male who weighs 70 kilo has a blood volume of five liters, and you can essentially bleed out your entire blood volume into that expanded pelvis. However, okay, I'm going to ask you fellas a question now. Oh. Which of the, pay attention, which of the following is the most likely source of hemorrhage in a major trauma patient with pelvic fractures. Four choices. The surfaces of the fractured bones, or the pelvic venous plexus, or the pelvic arterial injury, or an extra pelvic source. Hmm. Uh, hold on, hold on a second here. Uh, do we have a new captain here? Like, what, what is going on? We're getting asked questions. Yeah. This is like that... Uh, the scene from Captain Phillips. Yeah, look at me. I'm the captain now, right? Momentarily, <laughs> yes. Give me the reins, and here we go. Which is, what's it going to be? Is it the fractured bones, the venous bleeding, arterial injury, or extra pelvic sources? I'm going to go with venous. Nate, you're going to go because I already told you before we started the podcast. This is true. It's the venous plexus. <laughs> so classically, venous hemorrhage accounts for 90% of bleeding from pelvic fractures, and that's a beautiful board question Mm -hmm. because you're going to think arterial bleeding is bad and you are right but arterial bleeding only accounts for about 10 percent and it is hemorrhage in pelvic fracture that is the major cause of morbidity and mortality can you go further into stabilization now especially as we head into the uh, trauma holiday aka summer 
Summertime. Boating season. You think you're putting on a pelvic stabilizing device, whether that's an orthotic or sheet binding, because you're going to limit blood loss. And it does effectively reduce the fracture displacement and decrease the pelvic volume. Mm-hmm. But cadaver studies have suggested that binding the pelvis does not tamponade bleeding. You're not wrapping it up tight in order to tamponade bleeding. What you're trying to do is reduce additional pathologic movement and prevent re-injury. That's what's most important clinically. Mm-hmm. So hashtag guard the clot and don't rock the pelvis. I love it. Can you repeat that one more time? Loud in the back. Yes. Hashtag guard the clot and don't rock the pelvis. Love it. Pelvic sheet binding is equal to external fixation devices in terms of pelvic stability. Now, here's another important point, and this was in our question too. Uh, Sheet binders should be centered over the greater trochanters. They do not go around the abdomen. Right. The goal of binding is also a neutral position. You don't want to over-rotate the unstable pelvis inward because that may also disrupt clot and exacerbate posterior injury and venous bleeding. Do you remember when we used to have those really intricate uh, pelvic binders? I feel like the companies that developed them must have been so sad when that study came out. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how about the companies that make mast trousers? You guys are too young to know what those even are, but those were real fun in the old days. Anyway. I'm just like imagining like the team, uh, the sales team reviewing that study and saying, all right, um, let's, uh, let's start looking for some jobs, guys. Yeah. Hey, why don't we start making a Tamiflu? <laughs> Mary Claire, this is off the record before I ask you. Did you ever find anything out about, you know, there's some stuff circulating about what pelvic fractures to not sheet? Or is that kind of a myth? You should just do it regardless. No, I think the the point of the sheeting is if the fracture is unstable, right? You, if if you examine the pelvis and it's open, uh, whether you examined it physically and you uh, and you feel that it's unstable, or you look at the X-ray and it appears as though it's open, because the purpose of the sheeting is not to stabilize bleeding or to stop bleeding sure. as much as it is to prevent further re-injury. So. Sure. Uh, I didn't find anything else other than I didn't find anything that said you shouldn't sheet. Got it. But what I do know is you sh- the purpose of the sheeting is if the fracture is unstable to limit re-injury. Great. Thank you. That's very helpful. Let's talk about some treatments and one of them being uh, one of the things that I got a fellowship for, which is um, IR and geography. Um, it took me about two years to do it, but it's it's one of those maybe non-accredited ones. I have to travel to another country to get it. Just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, patients with pelvic fractures and hemodynamic instability or signs of ongoing bleeding after non-pelvic sources of blood loss have been ruled out. They're the ones who need to be considered for pelvic angiography with embolization. Again, remember that. You're talking about hemodynamic instability or signs of ongoing bleeding after you've ruled out other things. Patients with evidence of arterial intravenous contrast extrav, also just referred to as a, like a blush or extrav that you're seeing on CT scan, they may require pelvic angiography and embolization regardless of hemodynamic status. Patients older than 60 years of age with major pelvic fractures, you know, we're talking about like the open book, butterfly segment, or vertical shear. They're the ones who should be considered for pelvic angiography without regard for hemodynamic status. So they really should be considered a candidate just based on their age. I feel more and more IR has become the answer to uh, many of the pelvis fractures or that we see in, in many of the trauma patients. I'd like to make one additional comment, which is that if you have a patient who's going to be boarding in the ER for a little bit, awaiting an ICU bed, 
who's had a full evaluation and has had one angiography uh, after trauma with a significant pelvic injury, comes back to the ED and develops additional or new hemodynamic instability, a case can be made for taking those patients back to angiography. So that should, we should just be aware that that might happen. Mm-hmm. I would also like to note that preperitoneal packing, which you can read about in the literature, and external fixation prior to XLAP are very institutionally dependent. And that's, uh, I know that from speaking with orthopedic and trauma physicians elsewhere and also from reviewing the literature. Yeah, this really does vary. Um, I am a subscriber to Trauma ICU Rounds, which is a fantastic podcast, by the way, uh, hosted by Dr. Dennis Kamet, um over shout at- Shout out. Yeah, shout out. Really nice guy. Uh, and he reaches out to us on Twitter often. He's at Harbor UCLA. And he had a, a guest speaker on uh, from Denver Health, and they do pre-peritoneal packing. Um, that was a big thing they talked about. But you're, you're exactly right, Mary Claire. I've seen that vary a lot, too. Regarding urogenital injuries, we don't have time to go over this today, but obviously they're highly associated with pelvic fractures. They're high yield for boards. And honestly, we already have a podcast on this. And it's called Urethral Injuries, Trouble at the Meatus. <laughs> we get into the meatus of the problem. You can check that episode out. It's one of our one of our first ones. One of the first like fifty <laughs> episodes. Oh, that was man. back when board bombs was a mere baby, but now it's an empire. Hey, can you summarize <laughs> pelvic fractures in kids? Iltfot, please. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, let's summarize pelvic fractures in kids. I'm gonna do that in like ten seconds too. So <laughs> just start counting. <laughs> pelvic ring fractures. Look, uncommon in kids. They're associated, pelvic fractures are associated with high energy trauma. So a significant MBC, pedestrian struck. There are a lot of associated CNS visceral injuries. Avulsion injuries almost exclusively are in adolescence, and they're associated with low energy trauma, such as explosive jumping or sprinting. The short of it is, they're probably not going to be asking you about pelvic fractures in kids because something else is going to be going on with that kiddo, unfortunately, if there is a pelvic fracture. In summary, everything you need to know about pelvic fractures, and Iltfot and Mary Claire are going to insert things that I forget or miss. Unstable pelvic fractures are associated with high mortality. Check. Fact. (laughs) Always the correct answer. (laughs) Lateral compression fractures are associated with chest and head trauma. Check. Fact. Anterior posterior compression fractures are associated with visceral injuries and hemorrhage. Checked. Fact. Posterior sacroiliac complex is the most important regarding pelvic ring stability. Fact check true. Posterior venous plexus bleeding accounts for 80 to 90% of hemorrhage associated with pelvic ring injury. Fact check true. You should rock the pelvis. Fake news. Fake news. Do not rock the pelvis. Sheets and binders should be centered over the greater trochanters, not the abdomen. The goal is a neutral position. Do not overcorrect. Men and women have equal rates of bladder injury. Again, just getting into the GU stuff. Men are much more likely to have urethral injury compared to females. And then finally, avulsion injuries occur almost exclusively in adolescence. Does that cover everything, Mary Claire? Ilfot? Yeah, that's a wrap. You got it. That's a wrap. All right. This was awesome. This was great. Complex topic. We, we simplified it, distilled it into distilled into good pieces here. Uh, Iltfot, can, can you promote this thing we're doing outside of EM Board Bombs? So that's another EM Board Bomb delivered to us. Remember to find us on Twitter. Our handle is at EM Board Bombs. We have thousands of subscribers now. I remember when just trying to get to the thousand mark, 
was like a really big deal. And now that we've hit a thousand, it's just multiplying. It's like every time I check, it's nuts, Dr. Briggs. Yeah, it's like watching cultures grow. <laughs> Sorry, that's probably not a good that's probably not a good uh, comparison. I feel like every EM doc doesn't like that because they're just there's these memories of calling patients at home being like, You need to come back and the patient saying, I feel completely fine. No no no, you need to come back for unnecessary IV antibiotics. Yes. Yes, you had one out of two cultures positive for incidentalists don't care us. and after five days right Um, you can find us on instagram as well we appreciate all the apple reviews that we've gotten and again we appreciate the support that uh, folks have given us on our new podcast which is uh, a sister podcast to em board bombs rapid bombs you can find it at emrapidbombs.supercast.tech and it's in our show notes as well I appreciate all the support that we've gotten there. It's a great way to support all the work that we do, all the educational material that we provide. We're up to almost 50 episodes now on Rapid Bums. Crazy. Time flies. Crazy. Lastly, we'd like to thank Hashtag Goat Mary Claire O'Brien for joining us. She's going to be a recurring character. I refer to her as character because I feel like she deserves that status Mm -hmm. now on EM Board Bombs. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm going to get off because I have to. I was called by the British government to go help with the Suez Canal. So, um.